today in, in coming up to uh, Easter, one week out from Easter, we have Palm Sunday. You know, people are attracted to parades, aren't they? You see people gather from all around. I mean, I can remember, and I'm, you know, back in 2001 when the Knights won, I can remember getting up and going into the Knights Stadium at like 3 a.m., to be able to be part of the parade, parade and part of the, the whole procession and the, the occasion with all those other thousands of crazy people who got up that early too. People are attracted to celebration. They're attracted to success. They're attracted to fame. So if someone famous comes, there'll be there a crowd, a procession, wanting to sort of see for themselves. They're attracted to power. And so people gather around that. And so here on this Sunday, we actually, we always talk about Jesus riding into Jerusalem and and we think about that. But did you know that on that Sunday, there were two parades happening? So the first one, the first parade was coming in from the west. So we'll see a picture of the type of parade this could have been. And this parade was, um, do we have that Caleb or not? No, not that one, the other one. This one, okay? So we have this parade, and it was the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, who was coming into Jerusalem. And his was a visible representation of Roman power. So once a year, what he would do is he would, it was during Passover, he would come to Jerusalem and establish his headquarters there for a time to show the strength of the Roman Empire because that was to try and prevent rebellious outbreaks, this, so these sort of rebellious outbreaks were a danger because to, to the Roman rule because people were oppressed by Roman rule. They were, they, uh, the Romans imposed real hardship on the people. And so this was sort of a show of military power and might. And so people did gather around this procession because maybe some out of like being just drawn to the, the state that it was the Roman governor, but maybe some even out of fear. But they were there to watch this, this procession as, as the governor came into the city with, a, you know, mounted soldiers, foot soldiers. There was leather um, armour and helmets and weapons and banners and, and things mounted, golden eagles mounted on poles with the sun glinting on, on, the, on the gold. You can picture the sort of procession it would have been. It would have drawn attention. But then we had another parade happening on the other side of town. A peasant came riding in on a donkey, accompanied by his peasant followers, and they were coming in from the north into Jerusalem. Now, Jesus intentionally set himself in stark contrast with the other procession that was happening. On one hand, we have Pilate, Pontius Pilate, governor of Rome. He was filled. He was filled with pride and arrogance. He was the ruler. He had every right to have the attention on him because of his position of power and authority over the people. On the other hand, we have Jesus, who actually emptied himself of his kingly rights and rode on a humble donkey. You know, actually, this would have been a perfect time for Jesus to claim his kingly rights because the people were looking for a king. They were looking for someone to deliver them. And here they were flocking to the city looking for this king. Their cry, Hosanna, 
is actually translated, save me or help me. They wanted someone to deliver them. The waving of palm leaves was symbolic of a claim for a victorious ruler. And so here they were. They wanted a saviour. They wanted the Messiah. They wanted the king to deliver them from out of this tyrannical rule of Rome. And so they saw Jesus as the answer to their nationalistic messianic hopes. Even earlier in the chapter, where we, in the book, where we're reading about this, the crowd was crying out for a king. And then now this crowd is wanting to recognize as king. They're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're claiming him as the king. And you know, for Jesus, who is a ruler in the line of King David, this would have been a dream come true, to have everyone respond to him as king. If you think about what he had ahead of him, surely this would have been the easier way to be acknowledged as king at that time. But Jesus responds by finding a young donkey to sit on, thereby messing up the picture these people are creating. He should have found a horse to ride on and made use of other symbols of power. But instead, he paints from a different palette. He emptied himself. Instead of filling himself with pride and arrogance and power, he emptied himself of any claim to power and authority and came as a humble servant. Donkeys are considered to be neither proud nor extravagant, but simply humble. And Jesus, the King of Kings, chose to demonstrate his humility by riding on this humble animal. Why did he do that? Why did he choose to let go of all that acclaim and power and authority that he could have had without going to the cross? Why did he choose to empty himself? He chose to do it because of love, because he loves us. If he'd chosen the other way, the road would have not ended at the cross and we would have not had the offer of salvation and the hope of eternity. But he chose to ride the road that led to the cross and he did all this for love, love for you and love for me. Paul talks about this. He expresses this idea of Jesus emptying himself in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So if you want a picture of all for love, if you want to get a picture of what that is, here's the picture. Jesus emptying himself, choosing the road that led to life for us, hope for us. 
And you know, in response, we are called to have the same mind as Christ, not to grasp at things, not to try to push ourselves forward or to claim our rights. This is my right, but to empty ourselves. You know, when a potter begins to make a pot, he's given a ball of clay. Now, at that point of time, that ball of clay can hold nothing. It cannot hold anything because it's filled up. And what has to happen is the potter has to take that ball and has to mould out the space and create a beautiful vessel. It can't be used until it's emptied. And like Jesus, we too must be emptied. You say, what do we... We need to be emptied of. Well, the first thing we need to be emptied of is our sin. The things in our life that separate us from God. The Bible declares that every one of us, me, you, every person, everyone sinned. Everyone has fallen short of God's standards. And it declares that what we deserve for that, the punishment for that or the the consequence of that is death. So if we desire to be emptied, and to be, set for, sorry, to be set free from the power of sin and death, we need to be emptied of our sin. And the only way that we can do that is through Jesus and what he did for us. And then he makes a promise to us. He says, if you confess your sin, if you bring your sin to Jesus, if you empty yourself of your sin, then he said he will forgive you. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means we are emptied of our sin, not because of anything we've done, but because of Jesus. That's his promise, to empty us of our sin. But we need to come to him and ask him to do that for us. Second, we need to be emptied of ourselves. You know, we're never going to experience intimacy with Jesus If we're full of ourselves, there's no room for him. If we're filled up with ourselves, we have to acknowledge that our own effort and our own um, energy to establish and manage our lives doesn't work. Jesus tells us that whoever wants to be my disciple, disciple must deny himself. Deny himself. It's not a very popular term in our world. Because it's the I world. It's all I this and I that and me. It's all about me. But to be able to, be, to experience all that God has, to take on the same mind as Christ, we have to empty ourselves. We have to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. We can't be filled with him if we're full of ourselves. And thirdly, we have to be emptied of all the substitutes that hinder our walk with God. You see, sometimes we, we confess our sins to God and we, we don't want to be selfish about the way that we live our lives. But what happens is we fill ourselves with other things and sometimes they're in the guise of good things. So sometimes God may be calling us to surrender we don't really want to surrender, so we fill our lives with service. Or maybe God is calling us to trust him and and to take our hands off the situations, but we don't really want to do that, so we fill our lives with works, so we feel good. Or maybe um, he he talks, you know, 
we will do work instead of worship. Or we, we sort of tick the box. We do the religious thing instead of having the relationship that, that fills us up with himself. We fill ourselves up with other substances perhaps, even food, instead of the filling of the spirit. We're looking for ways to feel good and so we start trying to find things we can fill ourselves up with and really the thing that will make us feel great, the thing that will make us feel all that God intended us to be and feel is God himself. And so we can't substitute things, substances for God. But, you know, once we place ourselves in the potter's hand and allow him to do his work, to mould us and to empty us and to make us, what he will do, he will make us into a beautiful vessel that can be filled with God himself. You know, what we are filled with will be clear by what parade we are in. As people of the 21st century, what are we being called to do on this Palm Sunday? Well, you know, it seems to me that no matter how we look at the story of Palm Sunday and the procession that happened with Jesus riding into Jerusalem, you can't help but have to choose between following him or following the attraction of power and might of Pilate's military parade with all of its glory and wonder. That is still there to tempt us. The temptation for power and acclaim for success and glory is still marching its way into people's hearts and minds today. The pathway to being noted, to being somebody that people take notice of, still beckons. Power, might, greed attract more and more converts than the path less travelled. You only have to look at the world around us to see that. But we're faced with the choice, Jesus or Pilate. Two arrivals, two entrances, two processions, and all too often we find ourselves in the wrong parade. The world is full of parades, and it's so easy and so tempting to join the wrong ones. And it's so hard sometimes to get in the right procession. It's so easy to get caught up in the enthusiasm of the crowds and the noise, to get to follow the most elaborate floats or the greatest numbers of celebrities or the charismatic leaders. It's easy to miss the procession that's taking place on the other side of town, the one where Jesus is riding on a humble donkey claiming a kingdom not by his rights, but by courageous loving and serving. While Pontius Pilate processed into town with intimidating muscle and power, Jesus processed unarmed, unaccompanied, on the back of a borrowed donkey. In other words, God who is everything, God who is everything, made himself nothing. I think that gives me something to consider next time I think about making something of myself. He emptied himself while his disciples were arguing amongst themselves who's going to be the greatest. 
He emptied himself while we were still full of ourselves. It's not that he stopped being God. If there's one thing that God cannot do, it is stop being God. It's just that he didn't use the power of his divinity to save himself when he perfectly well could have. For instance, think about back to when he was in the desert. He could have turned those stones into bread. He had the power, but he didn't access that power. He could have jumped safely from the pinnacle and drawn attention of the crowds, got acclaim from people. Wow, look at Jesus. He didn't. He could have foiled Judas's plans for betrayal so that he didn't have to go through with it. He could have named those who cut off his ear. He could have called a legion of angels to fight for him. Actually, you know, he could have saved himself and come down from the cross. He's God. He has the power, but he didn't. He emptied himself. See, there's something different about Jesus And that's what this day reminds us. He comes in humbly. He is a servant king. He's come to serve, to help, to give relief, to give support to the needy, to come humbly and selflessly. And you know, whether we talk about the bowl of water and towel at the Last Supper when he humbly washed his disciples' feet... Or when we talk about, and we will next weekend, when we reflect more intently on his suffering and dying, what could be a greater expression of humility than that? Or today when we talk about a king mounted on a humble donkey on Palm Sunday, we are faced with the fact of how Jesus saw his ministry, how Jesus saw his mission. And he calls us, to take up the same heart. He said, be of the same mind. You see, he emptied himself, being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If serving meant laying down his life, then that's what the Palm Sunday King did. He came to offer his life as a perfect sacrifice. He laid his life down for me. I find that hard to even contemplate. But he did it for you too. He humbled himself even to the point of death. And he's done it for every single person who has lived, who is living and who will live. He came to take away our fear and to give us peace. A peace that passes all understanding. A peace that calms even in the most tumultuous storm. And I can honestly testify that in these days of the journey that we are walking, I can say that if ever, if ever, and I I don't doubt God, but if there was a doubt in these days more than any other I know God is real because I've had a peace that passes all understanding. I stand back and I can't believe how I feel and and how I go forward because I've had incredible peace from God that I've read that verse throughout my life and I, I believe it 
but in walking it, it's true. The peace of God passes all understanding. He said, he promises that he will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are fixed on him. So if we fix our minds on him and who he is and all of his humility, but greatness, if we fix our mind on him and everything he said and don't get distracted from it, he promises, his promise is true, he will keep us in perfect peace. This is why he did it. This is why he sacrificed. This is why he died so that we could have this for ourselves. He wanted us to have a life where we could rise above the storms, where we could be lifted up in the midst of the difficulty and no peace, even although the storm may still rage. He came to make the way to open, he came to make the way open for us for eternal life. And you know, even although the events of Good Friday are horrifying, And they are. God did that to work out his salvation for us. He takes all of our failure and all of our guilt on the cross. He takes it there and then he dies there for us. And he did all that for love. You know, it's humbling to be loved like that. We talk about loving people to death. God did. He loved us to death. So what's our response? We've got it, and some of you may not be using them, but we've, we've got a book that we gave out at the beginning of the year or, or, or slips of paper that have, have on it um, all in. And at the end, it's the challenge. Now, remember we said we want you to write your own challenge. And so for a few moments while the band come and we're going to sing... I want you to just take a moment, if we can just have the music playing first of the chorus of, and um, in between of Reckless Love. Yeah. I want you to think about what, what is God saying to your heart today? What is he challenging you with? He's asking us the question, which parade are we in? Are we in the world's parade? Or are we following Jesus? That's the first question he's asking. That's the first challenge. Maybe that's the challenge for you today. I'm in the wrong parade. I need to, I need to get out of this. I need to go this way. Or maybe he's calling... Sorry, sorry. Or maybe he's um, calling us to empty ourselves of ourselves. Or maybe he's calling us to empty ourselves of the substitutes we've put in our life to fill it up in place of God. But on this Palm Sunday, I want us to take a moment to think about this incredible, reckless love of God for you and for me. What's your response? What challenge is God placing before you this morning? So I invite you to close your eyes and just listen to the Holy Spirit speak to you. Let him bring the challenge to your heart today. He is. He's speaking here this morning. I know. It's not me. It's him. And he's asking you something. He's asking something of you. Don't block him out with other stuff. Don't start filling this time with other things. I'll be quiet in a minute so you've got time to hear. But don't let this time be filled with other thoughts so you don't have to listen to him. Just just let him have this moment.